Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. In this message entitled, Look Out, Jesus is Coming, we will be looking at Revelation 19, where we return to the earth of the Lord Jesus on a white horse. Let's get started. So the book of Revelation is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that from chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And throughout the study in the book of Revelation, we have seen Jesus revealed in different ways. But tonight, we're going to see Jesus revealed in a whole new way than ever before. Jesus is coming. He's on the white horse, and all those who are believers are coming with him. We will see in the passage tonight that Jesus is the ultimate, perfect in every way, glorious beyond human comprehension, literally God-made flesh. And in these verses, at long last, Jesus returns to earth. When he came the first time, Jesus did not come as a judge, but when he came the first time, he came to save. When he comes again, he is coming as judge in power and in great glory. And it is going to be totally, I can rightly say, it is going to be absolutely awesome. And tonight we're going to see how it all is going to go down. And man, I'm excited about it. And uh, so you ready? Okay, chapter 19, verse 11. We, we already did the first 10 verses last week. John writes, verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, just like a curtain, open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on the horse was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, that's an exciting passage. And it's going to get more and more exciting as we're here together for the next few minutes. By the way, just in case you're not real familiar with Bible prophecy... This takes place at the end of the tribulation period. So this is how it works out. There's the rapture of the church where believers in Christ are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is very clear on that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18 says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We will not be here for the judgment of this world during the tribulation period. So the rapture takes place sometime after the rapture. We don't know the exact day. The tribulation begins. It's a seven-year period. It's known as the 70th week of Daniel. It's the time that the Lord is waking up the Jews, waking up the nation of Israel again. Hence, the 70th week of Daniel, not the 70th week of the Americans, not the 70th week of the church, not the 70th week of the Italians or the Germans or anybody else. It's the 70th week of of Daniel. It is a seven-year period. At the end of the seven-year period, Jesus is coming back in this passage right here. So at the rapture, we go up. At the, at the uh, end of the tribulation, we are coming back, and that is what this is about. Got it all right? Okay, so let's go. Number one, 
Jesus answers the prayer of the ages. What is the prayer of the ages? I'll show you that in just a second. Isaiah the prophet, along with other prophets, longed for the day when God would step out of the heavens and his feet would touch the earth. All the mockers would finally face the God whose power they had ignored. Had ignored the God who's, who they ridiculed. We hear it in universities. We hear it in the media. We see it on late night TV. You see it on uh, on YouTube. You see it all over the place. God is mocked. Jesus is mocked. Jesus is ridiculed. But Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is going to answer the prayer of the ages through the prophets. One of those is right here, Isaiah chapter sixty four, where Isaiah said. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. In other words, open them up like a curtain, right? That's what we're reading about here. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Baby, that's going to happen. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Wow! In chapter 19, verse 11, Isaiah's prayer is answered. He writes, now, or John writes, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. In chapter 4, verse 1, John wrote, He said, Behold, a door standing open in heaven, but this time heaven is open like a curtain, and who does the world see? All the world is going to see him. There he is. Man, it's so awesome. There he is. It is Jesus. Uh, so number one, he answers the prayer of the ages. Number two, he has a, another name, and it is faithful and true. Look at this again, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, and he makes war. In chapter 3, book of Revelation, verse 14, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. It's no surprise that he's returning to judge the world in righteousness. He said he would, and according to verse 11, his name is faithful and true. Faithfulness and truth are intrinsic to his being, and he keeps his word. Verse upon verse in the Bible speaks about this moment, and he, whose name is faithful and true, is fulfilling those verses. He is fulfilling his word. Even Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, that every word would be fulfilled. My word, he said, by no means will pass away and jesus is simply fulfilling his word he is the faithful one he is the tr one that is truth his name is faithful and true number three he is a warrior and he is judge at the end of verse 11 it says in righteousness he judges and makes war think of this when jesus came the first time he took on himself all of god's wrath against sin right? So when he came the first time, he died as Savior. He was judged for the sins of the world, for anyone that would believe in him. You might recall, in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
When Jesus cried out, he prayed to the Father. And the Bible tells us that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood because of the great agony and great spiritual pressure he was under. He's crying out. Do you know what he prayed? He prayed, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. What was he talking about? If there's another way for people to be saved, I don't want to be judged. Don't let the cup of judgment come upon me. And then he said this, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And it was there when he's crucified, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was judged on the cross for the sins of anyone who would believe in him. So if you're a believer in Christ, this is how it works. If you're a thief, Jesus was judged as if he was a thief and you're clean. That is a good deal. And then you start looking at all of your sins you've ever committed. If you have trusted Christ, that is an incredible thing. When he came the first time, he was judged for our sins. But when he comes again, he is the embodiment of God's judgment or wrath against a sinful world. I look at this, and I think this is, this is crazy. In chapter 19, verse 16, or verse uh, 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 14, verse, I don't know what verse it is. It's one of these verses we just read, right? He's on a white horse, we're coming with him on white horses. Jesus is leading the white horse. In Zechariah, the Messiah is the one on the red horse. Now this is interesting. Um, because red in Zechariah is symbolic of judgment. Jesus, so you have both two things working, grace and truth. You have, you have hope with the white horse and you have judgment. This is who Jesus is. Even in the Gospel of John, Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. You know that? Jesus is not half truth and half grace. Wouldn't that be weird? Well, he's half truth. Well, what's the other half of Jesus? Well, he's a liar. That'd make him the devil, right? Because even the devil could speak truth sometimes. But Jesus is full of grace, 100% grace, 100% truth. In the Old Testament, we see him coming as a judge. Here he's on a white horse, still full of grace, nevertheless still coming as a judge. But we also see this. When he first came, uh, wrath, he was judged for our sin. He came to save. Second coming, he is judging this world the things that that makes this judgment so terrifying is that it's done in perfect righteousness the judgment of jesus is untouched by evil uh, that is almost an impossibility in fact i do believe it's an impossibility with us we can get really angry and we can get righteously angry over something that's wrong but we're still tainted by sin so our anger is never going to be perfect the closest you can get to it is a mom who has a child, and she sees harm coming to that child, and immediately, boom, she's out there to take care of the problem. In fact, if it is another person coming against her child, look out. She's going to be worse than a mama bear, isn't she? Any moms out there? Oh, man, it's like, look out. I mean, I can get pretty mad, but my wife, if it's something with my kids, I get out of the way, because I, I mean, I'm going I'm to be afraid. Chapter 19, verse 12 says, his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. It's like, look out, man. Jesus is coming. And number four, he has a name that only he knows. 
Uh, Verse 12 again, he had a name written that no one knew except himself. This is intentional. You know what this is? He had a name that no one knew except himself. It's intentional. Think of it like this. We know him truly, yet we cannot know him fully. Do you know that? For all of eternity, the glory of God is going to be, we're going to learn more and more and more. If we ran out of, if we figured out everything of God in eternity, then we'd run out of God. Our mind could never possibly catch up to God. He's he's God. And he has a name that no one can truly know except him. I, I find this absolutely fascinating. We will spend eternity exploring his wonders and they will never be exhausted. It's a reminder to never think that you have the Lord all figured out. They say, well, God worked this way last time, so he's got to work this way this time. How many of you have found out that's a mistake? We do. It's like, I don't know. It's all, every day is a surprise, it seems. But I do know he's faithful. And I do know he's true. Also in verse 13, we find that he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The blood here probably refers to the blood of his enemies and a reminder that he is coming again to judge. Now think of this. In our modern culture, when people think of Jesus, they think of somebody soft, just just nice, you know, that person never says anything that's hurt your feelings, and yeah, pictures of Jesus, he's he's the one with the lamb on his shoulders, and just kind of like this, right? I mean, those are the pictures that people have of Jesus when they don't know the Bible, and they'll tell you something like this, well, the God of the Old Testament, he was mean. It was, a, it was a God of war. But Jesus in the New Testament, I really like the Jesus of the New Testament. There's churches that won't even teach the Old Testament anymore. You know that? You look at that and you go, what is the matter with you? It's all the counsel of God. But people actually think that, 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 that no, Jesus is never about war or anything. That's, this is what he is. He is coming back. And when he, again, when he came the first time, it was to save. When he comes back again, it is, he is coming as a judge. And people think Jesus is just kind of wimpy. If you think this is wimpy, man, you got, a, you got some bad news coming your way. I'll tell you that much. Number five, his name is the word of God. Look at, uh, again at verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. Uh, word, as used here in Revelation, is the Greek word logos. It's used over 300 times in the New Testament. Uh, The most famous use of Logos as a unique title for Jesus is at the beginning of John's Gospel, where the Bible says this, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. By the way, cults will take this and say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's an incorrect translation uh, of the Greek. And and they say, so Jesus was just another of many, or another of one, or or another of two, or three, or four, or five, or six, seven, nine. If you take this in the Greek, this is what it means. You mix the two languages, languages, (laughs) languages, uh, the, the Greek and the English. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The, the Trinity is mysterious and difficult for us to understand, much less to accurately describe, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
John the Apostle does it perfectly here. Jesus is with God, and Jesus is God simultaneously. And John identified Jesus as being the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. And John chapter 1, verse 14, by the way, says this. And the Logos became flesh. And the Word became flesh. And the Logos, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came to save, and He's also judge, and He comes forth in grace and righteousness. Before anything else, before in the beginning... God existed, and He existed as He exists now. As a trinity, one of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God, He had always been God, and at the same time, He was with God. His name is the Logos of God. Number six. Man, we're moving through this, aren't we? Number six. He is coming, and if you know Him, you are coming with Him. Uh, This is great. Verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Uh, I believe his armies uh, include the church, uh, here include the Old Testament saints, and believers who died after the rapture. In other words, the rapture takes place, and people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, and they die. Uh, This is the reason why you need to share your faith. We don't know when Jesus is coming. I believe people need to know. I know some pastors who say that uh, only the Jews can be saved during the tribulation period. I haven't found any support for that in the Bible. I believe that we need to be sharing our faith. And again, I believe the church, the Old Testament saints, and believers who died uh, after the rapture, during the tribulation period, they came to faith in Christ, we are going to be coming back with Jesus on these white horses. A white refers to purity, and the horse indicates authority. This is pure authority. This is awesome. This verse says, they followed Jesus. That would be we if you're a believer in Christ. Do you realize you're in here right now in this place? That is wild to think. If, how many of you are believers? You look at this and you go, that's me. I'm going to be, which, what, do you have a name for your horse? Don Perkins says he already picked out a name for his horse. You know that? What's your horse's name? I'm thinking, man, this is great. I don't even like horses because horses don't like me. That's what I found out. I, I've never, ever, ever had a good experience with a horse. Anybody else like me? One, two, three, four, five. A lot of people on the internet right now are really mad at me. Look, it's, it, I, all right, here's the thing. I'm going I'm to confess a sin I've never confessed before. <laughs> I don't know if it's, a, I don't know. Uh, all right, so before I got saved, I used to go to the horse races all the time. Um, actually, I enjoyed it. I wasn't doing anything sinful, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed the horse races. And um, so this happens. I, this is true. I'll probably tell on Sunday morning sometime, too. So I, I get saved, and about four weeks later, I used to go all the time to the horse races, Santa Anita, Del Mar, anywhere I could. And... Um, I got saved, and then I thought, I shouldn't go to the horse races anymore, and then my older brother contacts me, and he says, hey, me and my friends, we want to go to the horse races, and we don't know how to bet, and I knew how to bet. I'm going to tell you right now, I, had, I have two gifts, betting on horses and, and, and 
preaching. That's pretty much all I can do. I can't really do much of anything else. And, and so my brother, I, I would li- every time I went to the horse races, I would come out ahead, and I'd eat all day and have a good time. I'd always go home with more money. So I, my brother says, look, I said, I shouldn't be going to horses, you know, and, and he goes, no, just come. So I, uh, am, am I cutting into time? Okay, I'm okay telling this? Okay, good. So, so he says, we want to go to Del Mar. None of us have ever been. Will you teach us? I said, okay, I'll do it one time, and that's it. Not going again. Go to the horse races. And how many of you know what exactives are? Okay, so you bet on two different horses, first and second place, and, and you win a lot of money. So what happened is we're down there, and I'm explaining to every, all, him and his friends what the exactives are and how to bet and all that. And then I go up, and I bet. And, uh, and so I go back to my seat, and my brother says, well, what did you bet on? Because we want to bet on the same horses. I said, no, 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 it's not going to happen. I said, because what's going to happen is you're going to pick my horses, you're going to lose, and you're going to get mad at me. All right, so anyways, I won. And I won a whole bunch of money, and then they were ticked off of me because I didn't tell them horses, right? <laughs> so then a few races later, there's another exact, uh, exact same scenario. I go, no, I'm definitely not going to show you because I'm not going to win twice in, in one day in exacta. All right, one again. So they were really mad at me. I won a whole bunch of money my last time at the horse races, and I figured it was the enemy trying to tell me, no, keep, keep gambling. Forget the Jesus stuff. <laughs> Anyways, so I've got to, I, I need to come up with a name for my horse, because we, that was a total sidetrack, wasn't it? All right, now I've done a lot of things in my past that just, whatever. Um, we're coming back with Jesus, and, uh, Man, is it going to be exciting. But I just get the biggest kick out of Don Perkins. He goes, I've already, I've already got a name for my horse. And, I, and I'm thinking, how, how cool is, is uh, that? But here's the deal. Um, he rides, he's the head of the armies. Uh, he's the place where the king should ride. Um, all of these on the white horses behind him are his followers. Okay? We're coming with him. On this earth... We follow him. Uh, we're following him here on earth to go there. When we get there, we are following him from there to come here. And it is going to be awesome. I, I look at this and I think uh, they followed him on earth. When he returns, we follow him to earth. But if you don't know Christ, you will not be following him to earth. You will be on earth and you will see the heavens open up. And it will be a horrific sight when you realize it is game over. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, when it has already been all hell breaking over, uh, loose on this earth, and, uh, and man, but I'm thinking, man, know Jesus, and then get a name for your horse. In that order, know Jesus first. Number seven, his weapon is unmatchable. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. So we think of the weapons that man has developed and will continue to develop. I believe this picture is of a hydrogen bomb that was taken, the picture was taken back in 1952. So that was quite some time ago. That was what, getting close to uh, uh, 70, 60 some years ago. 60-some years ago. So you look at that and you're thinking, how many weapons and, and, and how much more advanced the weapons are now since 1952? And you're thinking, look out. And not only that, from what I've read, every weapon that has been developed eventually gets put into uh, use. Now think of this. 
Um, I, I, man, this is how this is going to go down, all right? Chapter 19, Jesus is coming on his white horse. We're coming with him. We are going, he's coming into the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Uh, you have Mount Megiddo, then you have the valley there, Valley of Jezreel is what it's officially known as, but through Revelation we call it Armageddon. Um, anybody ever been to Israel in here? Some of you? You've seen Megiddo. When we go to Israel in June, we're going again in October. If you're going with us, you're going to see Megiddo. And, and think of this. This is how it goes down. We've learned this. Satan is going to get the armies of the world together in the valley of, of Megiddo. Uh, get them there, valley of Jezreel. They're going to come. The kings of the east are going to come. You're going to have the armies of the west. The, the, the Antichrist armies are going to come. You're going to have the nations of the earth. Their armies are going to gather there. They're going to have the most radical weapons that man has ever invented, and they're going to want to use them ultimately to get rid of Jesus on his horse. It's not going to work. I mean, I look at this, and, and, but this is man's attempt. He is going to do everything he can to get rid of the Lord. And, and I, I think of the many, many times I've stood there and looked down at Megiddo just thought, wow, I remember the last time I was pointing up to the sky, reading this passage right here, the sky is going to open, and baby, we are coming with him. And I, I remember standing there, it was in Megiddo actually where we were standing, and I said, look up that way, you can see the curtains of heavens open, and there's Jesus on his horse, and man, you're thinking, and here we come right here like this. Man, it is so exciting, but it's not going to work. Uh, the Lord is going to laugh at, 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 at that time. This is what the Bible says. In Psalm 2, can I read it to you? Listen to these words. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. We see this raging now. The ultimate fulfillment of this is right there in Revelation chapter 19. The ultimate fulfillment of chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and, take, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saint. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said of me. You are, said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in the Lord. I love that psalm. I read it and I think, man, man thinks we're going to use all our weapons and kill Jesus. It's absolute foolishness. When this army comes, it's going to seem like it's will equipped. There is one weapon. We don't got weapons. It's Jesus on a horse and he has a sword coming out of his mouth. That is it. And you see all the weapons of man, and they go, ooh, scary horse. Oh, yeah. Oh, it will be a scary horse. You better believe what a weapon it's going to be. Think of this. Think of this. You ready? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over 
over the face of the waters. Then God said, the sword of his mouth, let there be light, and there was light. Oh, like that's really going to stop us with all our nuclear weapons. Oh, you better believe it will. I want you to think of this, this creation, think of this. What does the creation of light, that's what that's talking about, entail? Almost all the light in the universe is generated by stars. Think of this. As stars go, the sun at the center of our solar system is about a medium size. The diameter, the sun's diameter, is 865,000 miles. Our Earth feels big from our perspective, but you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are all massively bigger than the Earth. For instance, you could fit 1,300 Earths inside of Jupiter. So you look at that and you go, man. But, as big as they are, the sun still contains 99.8% of all matter in the solar system. Uh, the textbook, Planetary Sciences, refer to the solar system as the sun plus some debris. Uh, the sun is constantly, check this out, this is bizarre, the sun is constantly losing weight. It loses 1.5 million tons of material to the solar wind every second. Get that? Every second. I want you to think of that. 1.5 million tons every second. It is converting its own mass, in, uh, mass into energy all the time. It converts 4 million tons of solar material into energy every second. Sounds like a lot? It does. And it gets, this is even crazier. At that rate, get this. Okay, now remember, it's losing 1.5 million tons of material every second to the solar wind. At that rate, it loses about 0.05% of its mass every five billion years. This starts to show you the size. I mean, this is just, this is just crazy. That's just one star. There are more than 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's a billion with a B. Some say there are about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. The largest galaxy that we know of contains over 100 trillion, with a T, stars. So, and God says, let there be light, all right? No one knows for sure how many galaxies exist, but 200 billion galaxies is a conservative estimate. Uh, so you're starting to get the picture, right? Okay, 200 billion galaxies containing an average of over 200 billion stars, uh, of which our amazing, mind-boggling sun is, is merely, of which our sun is merely an average. Uh, and it all started with four words coming out of the mouth of God, let there be light. And then you look up here, and, and our earth is somewhere in there, just in this one galaxy. Right? And there's galaxies and, and, and galaxies and galaxies. When the Lord spoke the universe into existence, he also spoke fantastic levels of motion into existence. Uh, if you think, or think this, you're just sitting there going nowhere. Think of this too. The earth is spinning. That has us moving at about 1,000 miles per hour. The earth orbits the sun at 66,000 miles per hour. Our solar system is orbiting the Milky Way Center at 483,000 miles per hour. The Milky Way is moving at approximately 1.3 million miles per hour. And think of it, this is what the Bible says. All things were made through Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Yes, yeah, so 
a Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. With one word, guess what? All the weapons of man are to not. Uh, just, just done with the sword of his mouth. When he returns, he will defeat the armies of the nations. He will rule. And chapter 19, verse 15 says he's going to rule with this. Look at this. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. I, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to save the rest for when we get to chapter 20 in the millennial kingdom. Where it says here in verse 15, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. This is what happens. When Jesus comes back to Armageddon, he's on the white horse. We're coming with him. He's going to wipe out the armies of Antichrist and false prophet. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for 1,000 years, uh, the millennial kingdom period. The millennial kingdom period, the topography is going to change. The desert's going to be blooming. Um, you, you look at all the different things. Israel's going to be like the Garden of Eden again. And we are going to be like the police force. I was talking with the chief of police a few years ago about this passage, and he was really discouraged because there's so much hatred against the police. Remember that? About four or five years ago, and I said, don't be discouraged. When Jesus comes back, uh, you're going to be part of the police force, and Jesus is going to be in charge, and ain't nobody going to get out of line. And I said, that's, the re that's what this is, ruling with a rod of iron. Um, the actions of men are going to be curtailed for a thousand years, but there's still going to be people living in having kids in the millennial kingdom that are going to hate God. It's going to be a perfect environment. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is unchained and let out of the bottomless pit. He is going to have an uprising with those who hate Jesus and hate being ruled by a rod of iron, and he's going to make one final attempt to, to do away with the Lord, and Satan is going to lose that battle, and everybody with him will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. So that's what chapter 19, verse 15 is about. He will rule with a rod of iron because there will be people who hate the Lord during the perfect millennial kingdom. It won't be absolutely perfect in the sense of men's hearts. You will have a perfect heart, but there will be people being born. Isn't that wild? When we get to chapter 20 in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll go into the details of that so you can see how it all comes together. And let me tell you this much, it is fascinating. And then here also in verse 15 we read, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. This passage of verse 15, it led uh, uh, Julia Ward Howe, the poet who wrote the words to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, this is where she got the words from. Uh, verse 15 right there. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You know that? Mine eyes have seen the glory. You don't want me to sing. But you got, you got it right. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage. You want me to sing the rest of it? There's not a chance. He's trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Uh, she allegorized that and applied it to the Civil War. That's a problem. When, I think it's a beautiful song. But the problem is when you allegorize the, 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 the Bible, it, it, it's not literal. This is going to be filled literally. We, at this at this place, not in any civil war, that was allegorical. That's where the song is. Again, a great song. Uh, so don't get mad at me out there in internet land. I'm just telling you the truth. But when you allegorize the Bible, this you make it mean something or fit a, a per, particular place where it doesn't fit. It's going to fit in the future perfectly. As last number eight, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, we're, where he, 
spreads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, it's not the civil war. It applies to this, which is much richer, much deeper, and much grander. He tells us here, verse 16, and, an, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With that, I'm going to close with these words from S.M. Lockridge. As some of you have heard him, he's a preacher who, who passed away, I believe, some years ago. This is fantastic. In fact, I even encourage you to pull this up on YouTube. Not right now, but after you're done here, after we're done here in just a minute, because I can't, I can't say this the way S.M. Lockridge did. He just said it. It was just the Holy Spirit working through him. But listen to what he said. The Bible says, my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's my king. And he says, well, I wonder, do you know him? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seen telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of a shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially, uh, imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner savior. He's a centerpiece of, self, of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's a superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway to deliverance. He's the pathway to peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. <laughs> but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him. And you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king. 
Father, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And when you get through with all the forevers, then amen and amen. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. He is. Lord, we thank You. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. What a glorious chapter. And we are going to be with You on that day, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, who's been forgiven of their sins, to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.